It is good to be with you this morning and to open God's Word together. Let me encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to turn with me to Psalm 104. And today we are beginning a new series called Open Hands. It's a study on generosity. Let me encourage you, if you're not a part of a life group, uh, to get plugged into one. Uh, on the back of the newsletters, which you can see at the back table and in the lobby, there's a listing of those life groups and when they meet. Let me encourage you, if you're not in one, contact one of those leaders on a night that looks like it works for you uh, and get plugged in because we've got a life group series that goes along with uh, the study that goes along with this sermon series. And so it's my hope that with the two of those things together, this will be a really helpful series for us as we explore the topic of generosity and stewardship through God's Word. And so today we begin in Psalm 104, and look at the reality that all things are for God's glory. So in Psalm 104, beginning in verse 1, we read these words, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers of flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. He covered it with deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose and the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth from the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted... In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. 
May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you now as our great sustainer, as our creator, as our redeemer, as the giver of life, the giver of salvation, the giver of all things. Father, today as we think through this text, as we think through your power to create, your goodness to sustain and provide, and your glory that is greater than the heavens, Father, help us to remember that we are but dust, that our life is but a vapor. Yes, help us to number our days so in numbering them we may see that which is most valuable. We may see that which is most lasting. That we would see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ and that we would cling to that glory with all that we are. That we would live for that glory and that alone. Would you captivate our hearts today with your goodness and your glory. In this we pray in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. So several years ago, uh, we were renting a house. It was a duplex and we called it the brick house because it had brick on the outside. And I remember one day when we were uh, renting this house, uh, we uh, we're, we're doing something, and then we uh, heard a child playing, and to our horror, that child was doing art. But they were doing art on the hardwood floor of the house we were renting with a Sharpie. And so we look, and we say, no, stop, stop, and we try and get it away from him. We try and clean it up, and we're, we're freaking out. Why? Because we didn't own that place. We were renters. And we wanted our security deposit back. See, that place wasn't ours. And so we wanted to take special care of it so that when the landlord came, they would say, oh, everything's, everything's good here. So when we left, they would say, here's your security deposit back. Now, fast forward several years, we've bought a home, and a child draws a very treasure map on the wall of the bathroom. And what do we do? Oh, that's fine. We'll paint over it in a couple years because it's ours. We owned it. It didn't matter. There was no one that we were accountable to. You see, on the one hand, we were renters. We were stewards of someone else's property, and as a result, we had a completely different mindset toward that house than the one that we, are own, that we owned. You see, because there is a vast difference between being an owner and a steward. As we begin this topic of generosity, the first thing we need to do is understand our relationship with God. 
See, to rightly understand our relationship with our money, with our time, with our treasures, with our homes and our cars, and all of the things we have, we must first rightly understand our relationship and those things' relationship to God himself. Because that is where everything begins. God is the source of the life that we have. He is the giver of all of the things that we have. And we will never rightly use, we will never rightly steward all that God has given us until our hearts are rightly aligned with Him. You see, when our hearts are in tune with God, then our hands will rightly use the things of this world that He has given us. Today we begin by looking at God, by at who He is as creator and giver and sustainer of all things, because generosity begins and ends with a heart that is captivated by all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. So today, I hope that we'll see together that all things are created by God, all things are sustained by God, and therefore all things, including you and me, exist to bring glory to God. So the first thing that we'll see together is that all things belong to God. We see this in verses 1 through 9. If you were listening as we read through this psalm, there was a repeated word, a repeated refrain, and it was you, or he, or God, or the Lord. This psalm speaks about many things. It, it speaks about the animals in creation. It speaks about the weather and the seasons. It speaks about our vocation and our work. It speaks about you and I. But none of those things are the subject of this psalm. The great subject, the great topic, the great focus of this psalm is God himself. See, this psalm is here for us to orient our hearts rightly to God and therefore rightly to the things that are around us. And what we see proclaimed over and over and over again is that God is the creator of all things. And since he is the creator, it's his. He owns it. It belongs to him. And since he owns it, he can do with it and distribute it and define it as he pleases. And he does. What this psalm is pointing us to is that at the end of the day, God is sovereign. God is the owner and the ruler of all things. And as the sovereign, he can do with his creation as he chooses. It's rather like if you were to go out and you were to buy a field today, guess what you could do on that field that you bought? Whatever you want, legally. You could build a house. You could plant a cornfield. You could dig up that cornfield and build a baseball diamond, and no one could stop you because it is your field. You are the owner. You are the sovereign of that field. In a greater way, God is the sovereign of all that there is because he didn't buy it from anyone. He made it. He owns it, so he gives everything purpose. You see, the fact that God is the creator 
We see this in verse 3, right? He lays the beams of the chambers of the water. He makes clouds, his chariots, everything he founded, he made, he created. Since he is the creator, that means for us that he has a purpose and a plan for all things. That's what it means for God to be sovereign. That he has a purpose for everything, that he has a plan for everything, and that he is unstoppably working out that plan. Look at how this psalm describes God, beginning in verse 1. It says, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. We see here the all-powerful creator God. That The psalmist is grasping at language to describe how great, how grand, how powerful, how different from all else God is is. He is above all things. He is separate from all things. There is no rival. There is nothing that competes with God. He's clothed in splendor, clothed in majesty, clothed in light. He creates with a word. And yet, look at how the psalmist addresses him. He calls him Lord my God. And that word for Lord there, you see it in all caps. That is the God, the personal covenant name of God that he revealed to Moses at the burning bush. The God who is the creator of all things, who made all things, who rules over all things, is no distant God. He is a personal, relational God. He is a hands-on God with his people and with his creation. God is not like the watchmaker who simply puts the watch together, winds it up, and leaves it to itself. God is involved with your life and my life and all of his creation, working out unstoppably his perfect and good plan for all things. You see, what we see in these first several verses is the creator God is both all-powerful. He's clothed with splendor and majesty. He covers himself with a garment, with light as with a garment. He is all-powerful and he is all-good and all-loving. Because the great creator God is the Lord, my God, our God. We need to grasp this. We need to grasp that the God who is in control of all things, who sustains all things, who creates all things, is a personal, loving, and good God. Of course, we see this most clearly in Christ. We see that God in all of his power and majesty and glory was able to come and pay the price for sin. Why? Because he was good. Because he loved us. And so we trust that the God who is all-powerful and does all that he pleases does everything holy, does everything right, does everything good, does all things well. So we can trust that the one to whom all things belong, to whom is ruler over all things, has a good and gracious plan that he is working out with all of those things. Which means for us 
that if everything belongs to God, if everything is working out God's plan, that means that nothing that we have is our own. Everything from life to possessions to family is graciously and wisely and lovingly given to us by God. Because the reality is, we can be deceived. The, the things that we have are actually our own. We can be deceived into thinking because we have means and we have money and we have possessions. That, well, I'm in control. That, that I make that that really I know what's best for me and I can choose what brings me the most joy. We can also be deceived as Adam and Eve were in the garden by assuming that God's control and care are not best for us. We can look to the hand of the Creator and we can say, you're withholding from me. You can give me all things. Why aren't you giving me that thing that I want? Because we forget that he's good. We forget that the, the God of all creation who owns it all is the personal, relational God of covenant love. So we trust that if he withholds, he does it for our good. Painful as that may be in the here and now, God is not looking for our good five minutes from now. God is not looking for our good five years from now. God is looking for our good five billion years into eternity. His goodness is not measured on the scale of our tiny lives. It's measured on the scale of all eternity. And so we can trust his goodness and his love. And so we see, then as we walk through this psalm, that not only do all things belong to God, but he gives as he pleases, and all things depend on him, for their continued existence. He creates all things, and all things depend on him, because all things are sustained by This is the big thrust of verses 10 through 30, that everything is sustained by him. He sustains all things. God keeps all things in existence. That's, that's the thrust of these verses when it says that he makes waters gush forth from the valleys in verse 10. In verse 11, that he gives drink to the beasts of the field. In verse 14, that he causes the grass to grow from the livestock. In verse 16, that the trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. Verse 19, that he made the moon for its seasons. Verse 21, that he gives the young lions their prey. Verse 27, all things look to him to give their food in due season. God is the sustainer of all things. See, the, the reality is that without God, not only do we have nothing, not only could we do nothing, but we would not exist without his sovereign sustaining of us. Were God to stop sustaining us, we would cease to exist in a moment. It's like you've got your gas fireplace, you turn the gas off, the flames go out because the source is cut off. 
You see, we don't sustain our own lives. We are sustained by God. It's as Paul says in Acts 17, it's in Him that we live and move and have our being. So these verses call us to trust Him. This psalm calls us to look to our need for Him in every circumstance, not just in the times of trouble, but if you woke up, if you put your feet on the floor this morning, if you're breathing, it's because of Him. We can't sustain our own lives. It is, our lives are sustained by God. And as a sustainer, this psalm also pictures God as the provider, the one who gives all that we need. And what we see is that God is exceedingly generous in his provision and sustaining of his creation. I mean, look at, look at verses, verses 14 and 15 with me. So we see God is the sustainer. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. And we see him as the provider that, that he may bring forth food from the earth. Where does food come from from the earth? God. He gives it. But look what else God does. It says, And you also give wine to gladden the heart of man, and oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. What's that all about? What's this reference to wine and, and oil? So we get it. God sustains. God provides. The psalmist is saying, but he doesn't just give the basic needs. He sustains graciously and abundantly. I mean, wine, oil, those are extras, right? We could live on, on water and bread, right? The beasts of the field, they get water. That's enough for them. That'd be enough to sustain us. But the psalmist is saying, God in his sustaining of you, God in his providing for you is no miser. He's no penny pincher. He's not greedily keeping things from you. He graciously gives us good things. Why? So that we will heartily turn to him in praise. Right? Because that's where this psalm ends. It ends in praise to God at the very end. It actually begins in praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It ends in praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. See, the psalmist is pointing to us that God is our creator, but he is also our gracious provider and sustainer. So our hearts will look at the gifts and look past the gifts to the one who gives them. But oh, how often does our gaze stop on the gift we, we stop, and we get the wine and the oil, and we think, man, that's great, and we, and, we, and we glory in that. We glory in the things. We glory in what the giver has given us instead of looking and praising him heartily for the things that he has given us. And again, we see this gracious goodness and blazing glory when we look in the face of Christ. Because in Christ, we see that God gave all that he had to give us. When Christ came down from heaven, heaven gave us its greatest gift. God sent his son. More than that, his beloved. More than that, his one and only son. To do what? To die for your sins and mine. We see the gracious generosity and provision from God when we look to Christ. And so as Paul says in Romans 8, 32, how can we look at what God has given us and say, you're withholding something from me, God. You're keeping back something that would be really good for me when Paul says, when God's word says, no, look to Christ. 
God has nothing left to give you, nothing better besides Christ. He will give you all good things in Him. Because here is what this psalm wants us to see when we look at the Creator, Sustainer, Provider, God, is that God is not greedy, but graciously gives us all that we need in Christ. God's not holding back on us. God's not keeping back something that you need, that I need, but God graciously gives us all that we need in Christ. Because provides for us, we have to look to Him and Him alone and trust. It says, the psalmist says, it's, it's not by might, it's not by power, but by the Lord. See, because the reality is, our resources, our wealth, our bank accounts, our 401ks, maybe it's your looks, maybe it's your smarts, maybe it's your good humor, maybe it's your grades, Maybe it's your class rank. Maybe it's how many followers you have on Twitter or how many people like your posts on Facebook. Those things deceive us to think that we sustain ourselves. Those things trick us into thinking we are the ones who keep us alive. We look and say, look what my hand has done. <laughs> but this psalm would humble us. Look at verse 27 and 30. These all... That is everything in creation. Look to you to give them food in due season. When you give it, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they return. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. This psalm would have us pray with Jesus. Give us this day our daily bread. You see, we look at the stuff we have, and we think, well, I can take care of my daily bread myself. And God, maybe when things get really bad, like maybe when I get sick or stressed or I need some big thing, I'll, I'll come to you. We are deceived into thinking we can provide for ourselves, that we can sustain ourselves. No, we need to turn to the Creator and Sustainer and trust Him in everything, in every day. And then when we look and, and see the things we don't have and the things we want, we trust him again and we look to Christ and we see that he has given us all good things in him. See, because God, he creates all things, he upholds all things, he graciously made, he graciously sustains, he graciously gives and provides for one ultimate purpose, to display his great beauty and worth. And so we see where the psalm is pointing us, where all of God's word points us in verses 31 through 35, where we see that all things exist for the glory of God. The psalmist says in verse 31, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. And may the Lord rejoice and in his works. In verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. 
Rejoice in the Lord. All things exist for the glory of God. By glory of God, it means to show His matchless beauty, to show His incomparable worth, to show that He is the most supreme, most treasured, most valuable being in all creation, that there is nothing that rivals Him. That all things exist for God's glory. It means that you and I, that the snow, that the birds, that the ocean, that the lake, that everything exists to show that He is God. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist, why? To worship God, to praise God, that our hearts would be pleasing to Him. We exist to know, to love to worship, obey God. That is, we live for His glory, to display His matchless worth and beauty and value in all that we do. And since all things exist for His glory, that means that you and I are to use our lives, to use the things of earth that God has given to us for his purposes, and not our own. But because our lives are his. The things of earth that we have are his. And so he sets the terms of how they are to be rightly used. He sets the rules for us to follow for the purpose of our lives and all things. You see, God receives glory through our lives. God receives glory through our use of the things of earth when we use them in the way that he intended. And so with this psalm and these verses where the psalmist says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever and may the Lord rejoice in his works. It's pointing us to the reality that God is most glorified in us and by us when we use his good gifts to display his great goodness, love, and worth. God gets the most glory from your life. God gets the most glory from my life when we take the good gifts that he's given us and we use them to display that he is better than the gift. When we use them to show that the, that the giver is worth more than the gift that he has given given us. And so true joy is found in using the things that God gives us in the God-ordained ways. So we, we do this by, by coming to, to Him in Christ. We do this by looking at the things that He's given us and thanking Him for them. We use them by living with open hands that don't cling to the things of earth, but are willing to give them for the sake of his glory. Give them for the sake of the gospel. See, because here's our struggle. Our struggle isn't that we've never heard that all things exist for the glory of God. 
our struggle is, isn't even understanding that. Our struggle is that the things of earth, the, the very gifts that God gives us to be used for our good and His glory, the, the very things He gives us to sustain our lives, you see, they offer us something. They offer us significance. They can offer us acceptance. They can offer us value. And so those things which we value, those things which make us feel valuable, are those things that we pursue. And, and so in our search for acceptance, in our search for value, we cease looking to the Creator and we look at His creation. But see, the reality is that value that we can so easily seek in stuff, in our money, in our homes, in our cars, in our relationships, in our grades, that value that we're after, we already have in God. He already knows us. He already accepts us. In Christ, He already loves us, and He values us in Him. But we miss that. See, in, instead of seeing the value that we have in Christ and giving glory to God, we are glory thieves. We try and steal the glory of God for ourselves. We try to hang on to it. We try to keep it. You see, we, we take the, the stuff that God gives us, and instead of glorying in the Creator, we make a really bad trade, and we glory in the creation. That's a poor trade-off, right? That's like when kids, like a kid has like 10 pennies, and they're like, hey, I'll trade you these 10 pennies for those four silver coins, right? And they get another kid that's younger than them that has four quarters. They're like, look, it's 10, 10 to your four. Let's trade. That's a terrible trade. But we do it all the time. We, we trade the glory of eternity for God for the fading glory of the things of earth and we think in those things in our money, in our power in the relationship that we have with others in our, in our whatever it is we pursue we, we think we'll have glory and value in those things we pursue those things and in the end we miss out because what happens to all the things of earth? Verse 29. When you take away their breath, they die and they return to dust. All of it. Dust. The glory fades. The accomplishments, the fame, the promotion, the friends, the college admissions, the grades, the 401ks, all of those things that we pursue for value, they will fade. Their glory is nothing, but there is a glory that is eternal. And it is the glory of God given to us in Christ, and we can share in that glory. How? When we are in Christ and we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, you know what God's Word tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? We are transformed 
into one degree of glory to another. The glory of God, the glory that never fails, the glory that will be for all eternity can be ours in Christ. And in Christ, we have true value, true worth, true acceptance. We don't have to chase after it. God graciously gives it. And unlike all the things of earth, we will never, ever, ever lose it. The glory that's true glory, the glory that is truly going to last to the end, the only glory that's eternal is given to us graciously by God and Christ. And you know what? There's a day where that glory is going to cover the earth like water covers the sea. Because God will transform us graciously and lovingly through Christ into that image of glory. See, the cure for stealing glory, the cure for finding glory in the created things, the cure for fading false glory is to be found in beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, because we are not made for the things of this earth to ultimately satisfy us. But we are We're made to know and love and treasure God in Christ and then to demonstrate His surpassing worth in all that we are and all that we do. So here's here's the thing. If we're to learn to live with open hands, if we're to learn to be generous, it doesn't begin with spreadsheets and, and budgets. It doesn't begin with savings accounts and giving percentages. Those things are good, but those things won't sustain. It begins by turning our hearts to the God who made us, to the God who sustains us, to the God who loves us, and to the God for whose glory we exist. So let's come to Christ. Let's receive glory in him so that our hearts will be transformed and captivated by the glory of God so that then our hands will follow. That our hands will follow to hold on to that which is truly joy, to that which is truly life, to that which is lasting glory in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you for today. we confess that you are the creator, the sustainer, the giver of all things, that you are sovereign and you have a plan for all things. Oh, but Father, we confess that so often we don't want to follow that plan, that we seek life and satisfaction and significance and glory and so many other things. We have said that, no, we know best our way. We have sinned. Oh, but we thank you that in your glory and in your grace, you have provided more than the things of earth. You have provided the son of your love to come and to die and to redeem us so that we can be forgiven of our sins, so that we can have that glory that lasts forever in him. Thank you that you and Christ have given us all good things. Father, may we turn to him, trust him, and live for him in all we are.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.